Good morning. It's uh, great to be with you this morning here in the West Auditorium, as well as everybody joining us in the East Auditorium, everybody joining us online. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning or your Bible app to Psalm chapter 19. Uh, Psalm chapter 19, Psalm is right in the middle of the Bible, and we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. Um, but before we do, I want to remind us that right now we are in week two of a series called A Rule of Life. And this, this series is not about rules. It's actually about practices. It's about rhythms of life that we can do today that make sure that our faith in God is thriving into the future. And so the phrase rule of life, it actually goes back to the fourth century um, in a time when Christianity really had begun to be watered down. It began to look like the culture and the politics around it. So during that time, a group of people got together and they said, we wanna live in accordance with what we see in scripture. And so they began to develop (coughs) ways of living and one of those was something called a rule of life. And so the word rule in Latin, it really means ruler or a straight piece of wood, and it's most closely associated, as Pastor Brian talked about last week, with being a trellis in a vineyard. And so we know that a trellis, it exists to lift the fruit up off the ground where it can, it can grow and it can thrive and it won't be trampled on and it won't be bothered by bugs or diseases or by weeds. And so ultimately, so the, the fruit can grow and develop and thrive. And the same thing is true when it comes to a rule of life in our life. It's about taking on practices, taking on rhythms of life that get us up above the things of the world to focus our attention on God, to put our our hope and our trust in him in deeper ways so that he can bear great fruit in our lives. In fact, Jesus talked about this in John chapter 15. Jesus said these words. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And both parts of this verse are really important. Jesus is saying, hey, if you're intentional about staying connected to me, staying connected to the vine, doing things like we're talking about in this series, being intentional with the way that we live, the practices that we invite to our lives, if we do those things, then God is gonna bear much fruit in our lives. But the opposite is also true because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so if we, we live our lives disconnected from God, disconnected from his word, from practices like we're talking about this week, we shouldn't expect to see fruit in our lives. And so last week, uh, Pastor Brian introduced us to the first practice that can kind of be a part of our rule of life, um, these, these practices and these rhythms, and that is really reading God's word not for information, but for transformation. And so he invited us each day last week to read Psalms one through seven, one Psalm each day, and, and pray as we read it, invite God to speak to us, and then read it, and pay attention to what God has called us to do. And so this practice is absolutely core to everything we're gonna talk about in this series. It's absolutely core to who we are as a church. And while we're gonna introduce new practices each week, uh, creating space for for scripture to transform us is central really to all of the practices that we're gonna talk about. And so as I was thinking about this idea of spiritual practices in life, I was reminded of my junior year of college. I went to a small Christian university in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I was there to study student ministry. And my junior year, that year, <clears throat> that year I was gonna be a resident assistant. So basically I was responsible for the 25 guys who lived in the dorm around me. And so I went up early for a week of training and during that week we did things like learning about what our job meant and learning about who we are as leaders and we did some team building things like we went on a rafting trip. Um, but one of the things that we did is <clears throat> we, we spent 24 hours in solitude by ourselves, just us and God, and nothing else going on. And some of you today, particularly maybe those of you who have young children, you're thinking, that sounds amazing. Like, how do I get signed up for that, right? 
And for me, it, it was also, it sounded amazing. It sounded like something I needed as I was heading into a busy year with new responsibility. And so the time came, it was noon on a Tuesday. Uh, they put us in a dorm room by ourselves, just our Bible, no watch, no phone, and it was just us and God. And the first hour of that experience was really good. I read some scripture, I prayed, really meaningful. But then about the hour mark, I started to get distracted by all these other thoughts. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but the more I tried not to be distracted, the more distracted I got. And eventually all I was thinking about was all the things I could be doing if I wasn't spending this amazing quality time with God. Things like grabbing something to eat, uh, hanging out with friends, getting my watch back, which seemed very important to me at that moment. And, um, you know, I, I tried so hard to focus, but the more I tried to focus, the louder my brain got, and the more I struggled to focus, and eventually I just couldn't sleep. And so, this is really bad, but I'm just gonna be honest with you. Um, we didn't have our watch, but on our campus were fake church bells that played over speakers every hour, and every time those things chimed, I was just so relieved that we were one hour closer to being released from this experience. And I know some of you are thinking, and we hired this guy. Um, <laughs> but anyway, the next day came, and they finally came at noon to release us, and I remember just this incredible sense of relief that this experience was over. And as I walked into the hallway, I looked next door to me where a friend of mine had been spending the night doing the same thing, and he walked out with this incredible smile on his face. And so in that moment, any sense of relief I felt turned into this sense of guilt and shame. And it made me wonder, how could I have missed the mark so badly? How could I have missed what Jesus offers each of us in Matthew chapter 11? Jesus says these words. <clears throat> he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't that sound amazing? Come to me and find rest. I am gentle and humble in heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. Rest in a world that just seems like it's going off the rails at times and taking our heart and our souls with it. And it sounds incredible to me, and that's exactly what I imagined would happen that 24-hour period in the dorm room. And so it's made me wonder since, what, what went wrong? How could I have gone so horribly wrong? And when you're studying to be a pastor at a Christian university and you can't handle 24 hours of solitude, it doesn't make you feel real good about yourself, right? So what happened? Well, we're gonna come back to that later in the message. But before we do that, I wanna look at Psalm 19 together. And Psalm 19 is written by King David, the greatest king in Israel's history, a man who had made some serious missteps in his life but was still known as a man after God's heart. And this is what David says in Psalm 19. <clears throat> he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them. And yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of its chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at the end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. David's point is simple. He says that heaven teach, the heavens teach us a lot about God's glory and who he is. He says creation is God's nonverbal communication that he exists and that the world is not an accidental collection of molecules, 
with the meaningful work of an artist's hand. <clears throat> and it also means that at some level, all of us, all people, know about who God is and his glory and his power. And while David points this out in Psalm 19, there are other places that the Psalms point to the same idea. In Psalm chapter eight, it says this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. David once again explains that the heavens declare the majesty and the glory of God, that God is so big and powerful, in fact, so much so that David asked this question, God, how could you even care about us? What about Psalm 148? Psalm 148 says, praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command, they were created. The psalmist is saying that creation, it testifies to us about who God is. See, God commanded the sun and the moon and the stars and they existed. And so through observing these things as we've talked about in these psalms, we see that God is powerful, that he is creative, that he is merciful. And that's what we're gonna focus on today. Um, but before we do that, just a word of caution. Uh, the psalms teach us a lot. Scripture teaches us a lot about God's power and his beauty and his majesty and his glory. But we have to be careful whenever we look at creation to make sure that we are always worshiping the creator, not just the created. Because these passages, they, they draw our attention to the beauty and the power of creation. But that should always point us to the beauty and the power of the one who spoke them into existence. And so having said that, as we look back at, at David's words in Psalm 19, it's very clear that the living world is filled with the presence of the living God. The creation, it doesn't just declare God's glory, it doesn't just teach us about God, it's actually something that God uses to restore our souls. In fact, another very familiar psalm written by David begins this way. <clears throat> it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his, his name's sake. And like many of you, I'm sure this is one of my favorite psalms. I love the imagery that David uses here. He calls God his shepherd and David knew what it meant to be a shepherd. He had been a shepherd as a young man, and he knew that shepherds really do three things. First of all, shepherds guide the sheep. They make sure that they have what they need, and so they lead them to places where they can rest and places where they can eat and places where they can have their thirst quenched. He knew that the shepherds are also caretakers who watch over the flock, and that sometimes shepherds are protectors who make sure that the sheep are safe. And so what David is saying here, he's describing his shepherd, his guide, his caretaker, his protector, leading him into the beauty of creation. And so he talks about God leading him into pastures where he can rest. He talks about God leading him beside still waters that are calm and quench his thirst. He talks about God refreshing his soul. In other translations it says restoring his soul. Doesn't that sound good? To have our souls refreshed, to be led to places where we can rest, to be beside still and quiet waters. And while David's imagery is poetic, it also points to the restorative power of nature and how God can use nature to bring restoration into our lives. And so with all of that in mind, I wanna talk this morning about how this really plays into the series we're talking about, because remember, this series ultimately is about taking on practices in our lives that lift us above life, that intentionally create space 
for God to grow fruit in our lives. And one of those practices has to do with creation. You see, our, our loving God, he knew that we would need oxygen. He created us to need oxygen. So he created an environment rich with oxygen. And God knew that we would need water. And so on the very beginning of the Bible, very first chapter of the Bible, before we were even created, God filled the earth with water. And the same is true when it comes to beauty. God knew that we would need beauty. And so he created a world filled with beauty and his majesty and glory for the purpose of replenishing and restoring our souls. In fact, uh, fun fact, did you know that there is research that shows that when a patient is in a hospital recovering, that if they have a window that views nature, they actually recover faster. So for people who are recovering from surgery or illness, when they can see God's creation, it actually causes them to heal faster. But we don't need research to show us that because we can just tell by looking at it. In fact, I wanna show you a couple pictures here. I want you to think about how these pictures make you feel and see which one makes you feel more like it might be restorative. So the first one is actually the background for our series, and yes, the sun is coming through, but you can just kind of see the chaotic scene here, people walking down the street, buildings, cars everywhere. So does that image restore your soul, or does this image restore your soul? Or what about this one? How many of you have ever worked in an office space that looks like this? No one? Just me? Okay, I have. Um, does this restore your soul? Or does this image my friend sent me from vacation this week restore your soul? She also mentioned she wasn't coming back. I hope that's not true, but I <clears throat> would understand. You see, it's obvious that God's creation has a way of restoring our soul that the environments that we create seem to lack. We know intuitively that the beauty of creation is merciful and it brings healing and it comforts. Why else would we send flowers to somebody who's in the hospital or grieving? You see, the beauty of God's creation reminds us of his generosity, that he is powerful, that he is good, that he is creative, that he is detailed, and that he is so much bigger than we often realize. God's beauty in creation reminds us that there is goodness in a world that prevails and outlasts all the difficult, dark things in our world. And so if it's true that, that God's creation can do all those things, that it it heals and brings comfort and reminds us of his generosity and it reminds us that good will prevail. Why do we spend so much of our time indoors? And I don't know about you, but when it comes to statistics, I'm a little bit um, skeptical of them sometimes. So as I was come, like, kind of studying for the sermon, I came across an article uh, from the World Health Organization that said 10 years ago, Americans spent 93% of their time indoors. And I thought that can't be right, there's no way that makes sense. And so I went looking for evidence otherwise, and I found a bunch of other articles. In fact, I found one currently on the EPA's website that says even 30 years ago, Americans spent 90% of their time indoors. And yes, they're counting the time that we spend in our cars, but I would suspect that over the last 30 years, over the last 10 years, we haven't gotten a lot better about this. And more importantly, I would suspect that our mothers who told us to go outside and play are not very happy with us right now. <laughs> And it's not just that we spend the major vast majority of our time indoors, it's that we spend the vast majority of time living in artificial environments. I love the way that, uh, that speaker and counselor and an author, John Eldridge, puts this. He says, you live nearly all your life in a fake world, artificial lighting instead of the warmth of sunlight or the cool of moonlight or the darkness of night itself. Artificial climate rather than the wild beauty of real weather 
Your world is always 68 degrees. Now I know some of you, it's warmer than that, but that's beside the point. All the surfaces you touch are things like plastic and nylon and faux leather instead of meadow, wood, and stream. Fake fireplaces, wax fruit, the atmosphere you inhabit is now asphyxiating with artificial smells, mostly chemicals and air fresheners instead of cut grass, wood smoke, and salt air. And he says, is anyone weeping yet? In place of the cry of the hawk, the thunder of a waterfall, and the comfort of crickets, your world spews out artificial sounds, all the clicks and beeps, and the whir of technology. And uh, as I was thinking about the sermon and that quote particularly, I was reminded of the Disney Pixar film, Wall-E, uh, from many years ago. And full candor, um, this movie came out after God gave us three kids in two and a half years. And so pretty much any time a screen was on and they were quiet, I was asleep. And so I only recently saw this movie all the way through. Uh, so if, like me, you've never seen this movie or you've only seen the beginning a few times, um, ultimately this, this movie is about corporate greed and about consumerism gone completely wrong to the point where the earth is destroyed and robots are back cleaning up the earth. And so human beings have sent away into space and they're on these, these spacecraft where they sit around in chairs and they watch screens and they let robots take care of their needs. And I'm not saying that we've reached that point, but I would say the idea of being inside all the time, staring at screens and letting robots take care of our life is not as futuristic as it once seemed. I also wanna be careful to say that I do love technology. Clearly I'm using it right now. Um, well, let me say this. I do love technology unless it doesn't work and then clearly it's evil. Um, <laughs> But I'm also aware that we were created to live in a real world. So there's potential for our souls or the fruit of our souls, as we're talking about in this series, to get caught in the disease and bugs and weeds of life when we spend the vast majority of our time in artificial spaces with artificial light, sounds, and smells. And so that leads me back to Psalm 23. I just wanna read this again. David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. <clears throat> you see, it's important that we note this. There were actually buildings in David's day. David could have written a psalm about God taking him to a palace or taking him to a market or taking him to the tabernacle where God's presence dwelled, but he didn't do that. He talked about God taking him outside into a space filled with his beauty and his majesty and his glory. And I love this. It actually says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. That phrase, he makes me lie down, is a word that means God caused him to do this because he knew that it was good for his soul. And so what that really means is that God took David into a space filled with his majesty and his glory, Psalm 8 and 19, for the purpose of restoring his soul, Psalm 23. God took David into a space filled with his majesty and his glory for the purpose of restoring his soul. And I feel like each year, more and more, I understand the importance of being in spaces filled with God's majesty and glory for the purpose of restoring my soul, letting him do that in my life. And so that's one of the reasons my wife and I love to go to northern Michigan every year, to be near the water, to be near the fir trees, to be near uh, the sand dunes, and just to be in a space where we can experience God's majesty and glory, and it has the potential to restore our souls. This is one of the reasons I love to go by Lake Decatur, on the way to work and uh, just experience God's creation, particularly birds, um, pelicans and uh, cranes and even seagulls and just watch the ways they behave and notice how uniquely God created them. And I was really excited about this last year so I was sharing this with my men's mentoring group 
Um, and they did not find it as cool as I did um, that I was doing this. And uh, they, there may have been a joke or 20 at my expense. But then I told them <laughs> that Pastor Adam is actually a bigger bird nerd than I am. And he's cool. And so they have no idea how to reconcile that information anymore. <laughs> but there is something about being in a space filled with God's majesty and his glory and watching what he's created that has the potential to restore our souls if we invite him into that. A few weeks ago, a friend of mine who attends the church here, he's a farmer, he invited me to spend the evening on a tractor with him and just watching the sunset over a cornfield in central Illinois was, was one of those moments where I saw God's beauty and his majesty and it had potential to restore my soul. And so sometimes there are moments like this, but sometimes God speaks in big ways. And so a year ago, around this time, uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to go on a spiritual retreat in the mountains of Tennessee. And the retreat was excellent. The guy that led it was fantastic. Um, but I was really struggling to kind of engage in, in the things that he had laid out for us. And so I had the opportunity one morning to sit on the back porch of this retreat center and just look at the valley below and just look at everything God had created. I spent about an hour out there. And that time to me was incredibly restorative. And it kind of changed my perspective for the rest of that retreat. And I kept, I don't know if you've ever done this, but like you see something great, you try to take a picture with your phone, and you're like, well, it looks nothing like what it was. And so I couldn't do that, so I took a video. It still doesn't capture it, but I just wanna share this video with you so you can see what I saw that day. So sometimes God speaks in big ways, and sometimes he speaks in sunsets in central Illinois, but I believe that God gives us these opportunities to see his mercy and his grace and his glory and his power in little daily things. Things like sunlight coming through trees or the grain of wood or intricate patterns of bark in trees or songbirds or sunlight through our windows or frost on blades of grass or water on leaves or flowers or even human faces. And I believe that God gives us these graces each and every day to push back the madness and the chaos of our world and to bring restoration to our souls. So what do we do with this information? What does this mean? Again, in a series where we're talking about practices, things that we can engage in on a daily basis to make sure that God has space to grow fruit in our lives. And that kind of leads me back to the story I told at the beginning about my junior year, <clears throat> about being in a space where I just struggled so much to focus on what I needed. And I, I really believe as I think about that, two things kind of come to mind. First of all, I'm not sure a, uh, a tiny dorm room is maybe the best place to have that experience. But more importantly, I've realized that what my heart really desired during that 24 hour period was restoration. My heart desired restoration, but my mind just wanted relief. My heart desired to be restored by God, but my mind just wanted relief. And relief and restoration are very different things. You see, relief, it's temporary. It's, it's mind-numbing, it's sedating. And I know these things are good, but <clears throat> let's be honest, TV is relief. And I know some of you are gonna be upset with me, but ice cream is relief. And cookies are relief. And watching the game is relief. And checking social media is relief and playing video games, sorry teenage guys, is relief. But restoration is something totally different. See, restoration reminds us that God loves us. It fills us up so that we can serve others. It reminds us that we're not alone. It reminds us that we are so much more than just what we do. 
It reminds us of God's majesty and power and goodness. And restoration is harder to find, but it's exactly what our souls desire. And unfortunately, sometimes we reach for relief because it's just easier to find, it's more accessible, and it's immediate when we really need restoration. So what do we do? How do we find restoration for our souls like David is talking about in Psalm 23? What practice can we experience, do to experience God's glory and majesty and allow that to transform our souls? And I really believe that begins by getting outside and experiencing God's majesty and his glory. And I know some of you are thinking, this sounds weird. In fact, Jonathan, I'm pretty sure the Illinois Department of Natural Resources is sponsoring this sermon. I assure you that they're not. Although if they'd like to, I'd be happy to talk. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> I'm also sure some of you, oh, just so we're really clear, this is not an um, excuse to go hunt later today. Please do not go home and tell your wife like, or your spouse, like, hey, I was gonna help with the kids today, but Pastor Jonathan said to go outside. That's not what I'm saying. <clears throat> I'm just really aware that when we actually do this, when we get outside and when we experience God's majesty and glory, it has the potential to restore our souls. And so I wanna encourage you to do that this week. And I know this might sound strange, but <clears throat> I would encourage you to do that with all of the senses that God gave you, with your eyes, with your ears, with, through touch and through smell. Um, one of my favorite things about going to Northern Michigan each summer is that there's actually wild wintergreen that grows along the base of trees, and it doesn't look like much. Um, it looks like this, it's just really tiny leaves, they're about this big, and they're kind of waxy looking. <clears throat> and the crazy thing is when you tear them open though, this just powerful smell of wintergreen comes out of them. <clears throat> and if you think I'm joking about how much I like this, ask my kids because they are really tired of smelling wintergreen every summer. Um, but there is something about having the opportunity to tear that open and be reminded that our loving God put that aroma inside those leaves that draws my worship and my attention to him in a powerful way. And so what I wanna ask you to do as we think about a rule of life, as we think about taking on another practice this week, is to spend time this week by going outside and experiencing God's creation, experiencing his majesty and his glory as described in the Psalms, to take it in, to give him thanks for who he is and what he's created, and invite him to restore your soul. <clears throat> and it doesn't have to be something big, just some small gesture of God's majesty and his glory. Invite that into your life, thank him for it, and ask him to use it to restore your soul. And if you're not able to get outside, that's okay. Just look out the window and find something there as well. But as we do that, I wanna remind us that the practice that we began last week really is a core practice to all of this. And these two things can't be separated. In fact, in Psalm 19, the psalm we started with today, David wrote that there's really two ways that we can know God. The first way, as we read, is through his creation, but the second and more important way is through his word. And so I wanna encourage you this week, as you do this practice, as you give this a try, and maybe even consider combining those things. Take time to experience God's word and his creation together at the same time. And then most importantly, let's remember that, <clears throat> excuse me, that these practices aren't about the practices themselves. What they are about is creating that trellis in our life, creating things in our life that get us above the weeds and the bugs and the diseases of life to focus our attention, to focus our, our energy on God, <clears throat> on God and allowing him to work in powerful ways in our lives, to grow fruit in our lives, to mature us, to develop us in who he wants us to be so that we can continue to follow him faithfully all the days of our lives. And so with that in mind, would you let me pray for you this morning?
God, as we look at your word, we just see, God, these passages about how the heavens declare your glory, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, Lord, how you've created the sun and the moon and the stars, God. God, we're mindful that creation is a way that everyone can know you, Lord. But God, through it, God, we, we can worship you, we can give you the honor and glory that you deserve, Lord. We can see how great, how creative, how powerful, how beautiful you are, Lord. So God, I pray that as we do that this week, Lord, that you would use that, as David says in Psalm 23, to refresh God, to restore our souls. That amid the chaos and the craziness of life, Lord, that we would have moments where we are just in deep communion with you, both through your word, Lord, but also through what you've created. And so Lord, we ask for that this week. We ask that you would use that in each of our lives, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.